0: That is a skill that I developed throughout my photographic career. Maybe one day you're doing an editorial for Vogue, the next day you're doing a beauty campaign, the next day you're shooting a celebrity. You don't have the space to just wait for inspiration to strike. I think that has trained me to see the world through a lens where I can draw creativity from pretty much anything, even a cardboard box. It might sound a little contrived, but it's how I see the world and how I let the
1: world in. Welcome back to The Craft, where we explore the creative process. I'm Carter, a PhD candidate at the University of Kentucky
2: and a writer. And I'm Colby. I'm a music producer, marketer, and product manager. Today, we are playing an interview that we had a few days ago with a really prolific artist, Work Saint. Work Saint is a painter, photographer, and mixed media artist from South Africa. He pioneered advanced techniques in photography and lighting, most notably the kinetic silhouette pioneered in 2000. This technique was designed to capture the fast-paced motion of athletes. Saint is an award-winning photographer. He's worked with some of the most iconic actors, athletes, musicians, and brands. This includes Ryan Gosling, Harrison Ford, Zendaya, Miley Cyrus, LeBron James, John Legend, DJ Khaled, Beyonce, Daniel Craig, Jamie Foxx, and brands like Nike and Puma, and so many more. And starting in 2018, Saint transitioned from a photographer to painter and mixed media artist. In the interview we shared today, we got to talk with Saint about that transition from photography into paint, and the things that he's carried with him along the way. To be honest, it's really hard to write the bio for this because Saint has done so much over the course of his career so far. And it's obviously he has much to do still. But you can learn more about all his work at That's warwicksaint.com. That's W A R W I C K S A I N T.com. Carter, what stood out to you in the conversation?
1: Yeah, this was an incredible conversation. Such a privilege for us, especially as young artists. He's got such a notable career and he's one of those artists that's always remaking himself, right? We talk a little bit in the conversation about this constant evolution of the artist and we specifically got to speak with Saint when he's at, you know, not too far removed from this big movement towards mixed media art that occurred in 2018. And so the conversation is phenomenal. I really enjoyed His comments on the philosophy of art, he is one of those artists who's thought a lot about how a work of art creates a relationship between the viewer and the work. And how this captures time and involves temporality, how it uh, fosters receptivity uh, in the viewer. And so I just really enjoyed uh, listening to him kind of expound on those ideas. And I also really loved how Saint positioned the artist in society. He has a high, and this is proper, I think, a high view of how the artist can influence society and also just these kind of loftier ideas of the artist kind of bringing the humanities and meaning and purpose to a modern world that kind of bulldozes those.
2: So good. We got on the call, and this is just an audio version, but you could see that he had an outfit on from a day of painting, you could see that he'd like probably finished up some work and hopped on a call with us to do this recording. And so it was just cool that this really seemed like a conversation with an artist that takes things so seriously. For me, the big takeaways were taking care of yourself in order to prepare for the work. So he has kind of outlines what his morning routine looks like and how he gets ready for the art, talking about the process of actually going from the first draft all the way to, this really lengthy process of sitting with the art and looking at it and thinking about how to improve it and having a plan and taking care of himself and making sure he's rested for the next day of work. Like all those routines were so interesting how art is like a relationship and you have to just keep showing up and being consistent. So many like little gems that were dropped throughout the episode and also bigger ideas that we dove into over a longer period of time. But it just felt like a really real conversation with an artist who's seriously doing the work and not just talking about it, but literally just got done doing some work. So I really enjoyed it and I'm sure that everyone else will too. Without further ado, here's our interview
1: with Saint. We're so excited to have you on the show today. There's so many things that we want to pick your brain about, and we'll just kind of jump right into things. We typically structure the interviews loosely around our creative first principles. So we talk about create, revise, share. And then the fourth one is kind of the broader, uh, sustained, kind of more of a artistic career, in-between project kind of question. But we'll jump right into the first of create. You have kind of had a pretty substantial change in medium over the last couple of years, could you maybe just share with those who are unfamiliar with your recent work, just kind of how things have been changing from photography to what you're doing now?
0: Sure. Well, you may or may not know that I had a very successful photographic career in commercial photography, doing a lot of global advertising campaigns and celebrities and album covers for about 20 years. And in uh, 2018, well, this is something that had been sort of nagging me throughout my career, but in 2018, I decided to do something about it. And what was the nag was that I felt like I, I was part of a problem in how the advertising and fashion industries put out these unattainable standards of beauty and it had a particular effect on me personally because my mother was a very well-known model back in South Africa, very, very beautiful woman. And I was a single child with a single mum. And I got to look behind the veil into the into her psychology because I was obviously I was so close to her. And as beautiful as she was, and she was a beautiful woman up until the day she passed, I witnessed as a young child the torment and the pain that she would go through because so much of her identity was wrapped up in how she looked and her physicality and on the one hand because I was exposed to the modeling industry and a lot of her boyfriends were were, were photographers so on the one hand it influenced me positively because I stepped into a career of photography on my own for myself and had a wonderful wonderful time traveling the world and shooting some of the most interesting people and beautiful people in the world. But on the other hand, it it actually deeply affected me because I felt like I was part of the problem by photographing celebrities and models and then putting the images into Photoshop and retouching them, putting on the covers of magazines and seeing how this became a a, a sort of a problem in society about you know images of self-perception and how women see themselves and all the insecurities that come along with it. And it just never actually sat well with me. And in 2018, I, I decided to do something about it. I was kind of getting a little jaded with the industry in general, uh, the whole ecosystem around it, etc. And I just I wanted to create something that was beyond photography, expand into, into a new creative frontier for myself. Keep challenging myself. I was, you know, coming up to my late 40s at that point. I'm now 51, and I wanted to also create something that had some intrinsic value that wasn't something that you'd see on an iPhone or on a computer or a flip on a... You know, this is this is kind of what's happened to photography. We're living in the age of photography. It's awesome in that respect, sure. but also it's not... It doesn't really have... It's not an object anymore where back in the past you'd have a beautiful photographic print, you know, beautiful cover of a magazine, or back in the days when you would shoot album covers, you'd hold a record in your hand, and it was something... It was an object, so I wanted to create something that was more artistic, more meaningful to me and and just and, and 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 basically expand beyond the lens. so in 2018, I started splashing around with some paint and some some photographic prints, all kind of small scale. I had absolutely no idea what I was doing, and it was five years ago, and now I do have some idea about what I'm doing so. There's it, definitely been a big progression in the work. Very excited to share more about the process with you. So, that's a
1: wonderful introduction. Now, is painting, this kind of addition of painting, was that something that you were doing earlier, you know, in, in your kind of development or even as a child? Or is that kind of a brand new interest for you?
0: No, I was very much into art since I was a kid. In fact, my earliest memories when people were asking me what I wanted to become, I would always say an artist. And then, you know, through the introduction of photography and how cool it was back in the 80s and 90s and watching my mom on shoots and stuff. And I was like, oh, photography is awesome. And it is absolutely amazing. I love the craft of photography. It's incredible. So, but yes, to answer your question, very much throughout my high school, I was painting a lot. And in fact, when I was 17 years old, my father was tragically killed in a car accident. Mm -hmm. And my therapy for myself was painting. So I mm. literally, I, I stayed at home for about two months. I didn't go to school for two months. It was in my final year of school and I painted every single day. And it was kind of a cathartic way of of, of grieving. It's ingrained in my soul and my system, but I kind of, I put it down when I took a photography. I put, I put down the guitar because I was learning guitar and I put down the paintbrush to dive into photography, full steam ahead. And I gave it everything I could back in my early twenties, but you know, forward, forward 20s. To 25 years, and I was ready to revisit and expand my creative horizons again.
2: So you mentioned in an interview with Juliet Art Magazine that photography is painting with light, whatever you do. Sounds like there's a really deep tie between that photography and the process and how you also... Pioneered some new techniques and long exposure and different ways of time shifting essentially within photography. So, how does that tie in with the art that you're creating now? Because it seems like there's a connection there. The the second piece of this question is just that on the show we talk a lot about the underlying universal creative process. So that's why this question is so interesting to me, into the show at a high level, is really like, how have you seen these different mediums have an underlying connection to them, if that makes sense? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, well, wow. have you got an hour? Because I've been this for a long time. This is a, this is interesting. I mean, it's interesting for me. I wouldn't say I would. I don't want to make any universal, broad brushstrokes here. So yes, you know, one of the super interesting things about photography, to me, was the fact that you are painting with light. Yes, you know, there's the, there's everything universally in terms of what makes a great image. You're applying photography, so it's. So you are very much in relationship with your subject, whether it's a landscape, another human being, etc. So not only are you painting with light, but you're also composing it. You are telling a story. When I say telling a story, you're sort of giving an idea about how the body language is happening when, you, when you're shooting portraits of people. So all of these aspects are very much alive in the arts, I would say, in general. But the one interesting thing about photography is that you are transcending time. What, I'm, what I mean by that is that every time you click that button and the picture is taken, that image acts like a portal that transcends time. So if you every time you click that button, you're kind of opening a portal into that specific moment that has happened, that is now in the past. And what I was trying to do as a photographer is transmit emotional energy through that portal. And a very good example of this kind of thing is when you see great photography, like documentary photography from wars, et cetera. And you look at an image and you feel an impact. Although that war probably happened 50 years ago in Vietnam, I think there's one particular um, frame that comes to mind where a soldier is going to execute, I think a child in Vietnam is a horrible situation. But when you see that, you feel the emotional impact. And that is because of the beauty of photography. It is an incredible tool to transcend time, even more so than video and movies, because that you have to almost commit a certain amount of time in order to engage you. But once you see a still image, you cannot unsee it. And that for me is super interesting. So so diving into photography early in my career, it was like, how can I expand time, compress time, get different moments in time, compress it into one frame? And this is what, Instigated a lot of the techniques that I was exploring, a lot of which was influenced by the sort of a photographic scientist by the name of Harold Edgerton, who would do super high speed pictures of bullets going through apples, that kind of thing. So the idea of it compressing and expanding time, using long exposures, using stroboscopic techniques, etc., was very, very fascinating to me. And it also added the added the benefit because I was making my way in London as a fashion photographer. Is you need an angle, you need a point of view, you need to do something different. So this is something that I really leaned into. Now, in terms of how that relates in terms of the painting process, it's also an expression of time. And what I mean by that is that now when I'm, when I'm in this stage of my career, when I'm doing mixed media work, I am painting on what I call a lumascape, which is a result of a photographic shoot I've done for the artwork. And sometimes in the LumaScape or in the so we just say the photograph, I've done long exposures, sometimes I've done multiple exposures. So there's that there's that element of time that's embedded in the photograph. But now when I'm going up to the canvas and I am applying a brush stroke, what's interesting to me about that is firstly it's super kinetic. It is an action that is happening with the hand with paint onto canvas. This gets recorded in that instant. In that moment, and in a way, you can expand that out and be like, "Well, everything in my life, every experience I've ever had, everything that I've ever experienced, has led me up until that moment when I'm applying that brushstroke onto the canvas." So it's 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 a very beautiful, should we say, endpoint or like or like marker in that moment in your life's trajectory of the kinetic relationship and the immediate relationship I'm having with the brush, confronted with an image that I've already photographed and printed. So that for me is what's interesting about this element of time. Photography is very much about that, but so is so is the painting. And for me it's just a it's a it's a fascinating fascinating process.
2: It felt like there's several different ways that photography and this mixed media and painting already very direct connections between them because they're both visual of course that's one aspect of it like you said but then there's also even what you just hit on was the idea of an individual moment in time. You're freezing a moment in time with the photo and you're freezing a moment as well whenever you apply paint. But with paint, there's not Photoshop. So how is that part of your process in terms of, you know, revision or committing to it, I guess? Because it seems like, you oh. know, that's, that's so different than working in, in a more digital medium.
0: It is very different. And what that's what's so exciting at the moment. You know, I, I started photography when I was 14 years old, it was like 1986. And, and my photographic career has really spanned through the massive transitions that's happened in photography. When I started, it was film. There was no such thing as Photoshop. I mean, computers weren't even around. Yeah, there was the, there was the process of printing in the darkroom. There was some hand retouching that would happen, some retouching of negative. Then Photoshop came out. And then there was the Photoshop revolution. And then Digital came out, and then all of a sudden you 're not know, shooting on film you're shooting on digital, so you know the all of that has happened now photography is pretty much purely digital it 's looked at digitally it 's seen digitally it 's photographed digitally, and everybody has got a camera, which is amazing, but you can 't beat in my opinion the tactileness of paint you know when i when I talk about time i mean this Painting is the oldest form of art that is known to man. The earliest record of man existing is because of rock paintings. How amazing is that? So this 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 medium that is now this meeting of paint and photography, it's really such a beautiful thing because the painting is so analogue and in a way it's so kind of primitive because it's been around for eons. And to have this energy get pushed and integrated into high-tech photography is fascinating for me. But in saying that, ultimately, you know, my goal is to end up with with a piece of artwork that is just incredibly beautiful to look at, but you feel the realness and the tactility and the presence of a real human being applying paint and brushwork using their creativity and their full presence in the creation or the artwork. And this, I think, is a, is a wonderful way to foolproof and to secure one's future against the, 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 the rise of AI. And it's just so much more meaningful. And I would say that it is hopefully more meaningful to those that look at the work because there's the sense of humanness and the sense of humanity that is very much fused into the artwork. And this is what, what I find is authentic and beautiful.
1: That's really powerful. Two things. One, you know, I was reminded as you were speaking of this idea of of time, there's a, a 20th century philosopher Martin Buber talks about how a work of art is brought from the past into the present in the moment of recognition. And so art creates presence, and I was so, I was so reminded of that as you're speaking, it, something he he talks about it as it's waiting for us. And then when we encounter it, there's kind of a reciprocity there, and it brings it right into the present. And I, I just thought that the conversations, how you're thinking about time, uh, was such a rich connection with that. I wanted to mention it, but I also wanted to ask your layers. I mean, you, your recent work, right, there's, there's so much depth to them. Are you thinking about layers in relationship to time as well? Or I would just love to hear how you approach this idea. of It is a revision question in some ways of you know what layers to add, but how do layers figure into the work that you're doing now? Mm, it's a,
0: that's an interesting question. Well, my, my process is kind of multifaceted. So I could say that one layer is the photo shoot. That's one layer. Just the fact that I'm showing up on the studio and creating an environment with my subjects and having this relationship with my subjects and I'm having this creative dance where I'm influencing my subject. My sub- subject is influencing me. I'm lighting it, with flash or with long exposures. I'm shooting it. There's this amazing collaborative relationship that I get to orchestrate as the photographer. And the result of that photo shoot is now the very first layer of the artwork. So, all the complexities that go into that, there's this relationship that I am in, in this dance, I'm sorry, say this dance between my subject and myself, or my subjects and myself. Now, throughout the, the, the last five years of the progression of this work, one thing that became apparent to me when i'm applying paint on the photograph is i really want to avoid embellishing photographs with paint that is not the goal so what does that mean well i, I tried a few times where it's just one photograph and i'm painting on it and what was happening is as much as i try to push it there it still had this like element of embellishment And my goal is to create something that's new and unique and that is beyond photography and beyond painting. It's like an amalgamation of the two. So what I decided to do was to either do multiple exposures on set, which I've done, or shoot my subjects. And then in Photoshop, bring in the technology, is creating layers on top of each other where I would put maybe two faces that have slightly different expressions and sort of layer them on top of each other and body parts and where it starts becoming a little bit of a kind of a highly complex photographic layering in Photoshop. So that becomes almost like the second layer of the image, Mm. which is which is like it's this multi. It's so multifaceted. But what that does, what what the layering does, is it introduces complexities. And opportunities, shall I say, or both the complexity and opportunity to break in with the painting, that I would either resolve the complexity, enhance it, paint it out. So it, it, it's sort of setting myself up for success in terms of how I'm applying the paint. So now, of course, I have the painting process, which is now another layer. And, and when, that, when that starts, when the painting process starts, I generally start with a round of glazing. It's a it's a you know, I want to kind of unify the and unify the photograph and the canvas, look at areas that I want to push back, look at areas that I want to leave, maybe change the hue and the color, etc. That's another, that's another layer. And then I go into the midtones, which is another layer, and then I go into the highlights, which is another layer. But, you know, so basically it's yes, it's multi, multi-layered. And I think it's with all all of these layering is with the goal and objective is to create something that is beautiful. I'm very much into the idea of art being beautiful Mm -hmm. and creating something that has a lot of depth and three-dimensionality to it. So that's it. That's how I do
1: the layering. There's so much depth to your work that it makes a lot of sense now that you're talking about how the layers can add that complexity. I mean, and that's another one of those, I think, cross-disciplinary ideas that things that we give so much aesthetic value to are things that we can continue to kind of plumb the depths with, right? There's there's something we haven't seen. There's something that's changing each time we come to it. And yeah, so that that was it totally answered my question.
2: So I was talking to a friend in preparation for this and asked, you know, he's a photographer, and so I was like, what would you ask in the interview? And he said, he's been wrestling for a while now with this question of how do you capture emotion through a photo? Just how do you go from just taking a portrait to actually putting emotion into it or bringing that through and really capturing that moment properly? What does that dance look like for you during Mm. the first layer, I guess?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. I, I would say that I think the great photographers of our time... And the great photographers in history, would, would this would be the one thing they have in common? Is capturing emotion. It's very. It's well, say it's very easy. It's it's a lot easier just to take a picture. It's a it's a it's a lot more difficult to capture something that feels authentic. And and this is again going back to what I was talking about before. That photography is really a, a portal through which emotional energy can pass through and mm-hmm. and stay alive for eons, for eternity, forever. So. For myself, particular techniques, I would say, especially when I'm shooting actors and actresses, is I I try and and, and orchestrate an environment where they are out, they're not in their head, they're in their body. And in order to do that, sometimes my first picture would be something where I create a lot of movement for them and ask them to move. Or I give them something to fidget with, or I give them a backstory where they can play into a certain character. Models are a little bit easier in a way, I would say, because they are more trained to sort of evoke emotion and evoke a mood. But with actors and actresses, whenever I said, oh, just be yourself, it seems to never work. But if I give them a character, then I get a more authentic picture of who they are in real life. Mm. So it's it's about keeping it keeping the energy moving when I'm on set it's about asking them to never actually be still although it's a photo it's a photograph and it's a still picture a lot of the things I a lot of the time I say to my subjects is you know I know we're doing a still still photography session here but the secret is to never be still is to always have energy moving and tracking in your body even if it's slow just feel the energy in your body feel that delightness and I will constantly be talking and 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 making jokes and and just in a way you kind of as a photographer what's so beautiful about the 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 craft of photography I say is that you know you have to be a mathematician in terms of exposures and technique you also have to be a bit of a psychologist because you have to be able to or I have to be able to tap into the 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 mood and the feeling of who is sitting in front of my lens that day and sometimes my subject might not be in the best of the moods mm. and I have to produce a great image for the client or for the album cover. What are you going to do? Keep it moving, keep it up, never let them be still, never let them get into their head best you can. And that's how in my, in my history, I found the most success in, 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 in getting authentic emotion that transcends through the photograph.
2: That's so good. I, I'm very
0: much speaking from my point of view, from my style. I'm sure there's other photographers out there that want to be just a fly on the wall and not say much. And I'm sure that there's, a, there's a, a quality of that work, which is very special as well. I don't want to say this is a universal principle, but it certainly worked
1: for me. We had a question here that we were thinking about of, of kind of the ratio of projects that you start And projects that you finish and I don't know if there's something that you want to say about this is are are you an artist that that gets to something and you know it's going to get worked over until it's done or does it seem like there's a lot of kind of beginnings that you recognize are not going to go where you want just anything in that kind of vein I'd love to hear your thoughts on
0: yeah great question I would say that I do when I when I print my LumiScape. When I say LumiScape, what I'm referring to is the photographic image that is printed large on canvas. I will, a lot of the time, print slightly smaller versions of that because I want to be able to test and just get a feeling for it. You know, one thing I think that is pretty unique to this process, the amalgamation of photography and painting, is That when I am approaching the canvas to apply paint, I have an image that's looking back at me. It is not a blank canvas. It is very much an image that a lot of people that I have showed it to be like, oh my God, that's great. You should just show that. I'm like, no, it can go so much further. But Mm. I don't know how much further it can go because the process itself is, how do I put this? the, the pro- it's it's through the process that new content emerges and that the, the 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 relationship that i am experiencing in my studio by myself with the result of this product of a photo shoot which is which i created not by myself with a whole bunch of other people it's these are all these relationships are, are sort of buttressing up against each other and, and, and infusing each other and informing each other. And so to come back to your question, I try and avoid, if I can, spending three weeks on a painting, on a mixed-media artwork, and then canning it because it is a hard lesson to learn. It is extremely humbling. And in fact, that happened t- to me twice this summer spent about 3 weeks on a painting and at the end of it i got to this point where and the, and this is probably going to answer the question more more precisely mm-hmm. is i got to the point where there was nothing more i could do to make it any better now that is generally a great place to stop they say that a painting is never finished you just you just decide when to abandon it <laughs> now so when i get to that that point of like well there's nothing I can do that is going to make this any better and then I have to ask myself this question well is it good enough right now and I had two instances this summer where I had to sit down and just come to the realizations like you know what that is actually not good enough for me and I put in all this time and we've got to can it now in saying that as humbling as it is these are the most valuable lessons you can learn. And I have the philosophy in life is you either win or you learn. And if I, if I could choose, I would rather learn from my winnings. But a lot of the time, the best lessons are learned from the so-called failures, which I, I do not regard as a failure. I just regard it as mm-hmm. a massive learning. So in this summer, I would have to say that, you know, I did, a, I did a, two paintings. One was a, was a failure, for the lack of a better word. But Looking at it, it made me realize what worked in the successes. Like this, made me hone in on what it was that was so good with the successes, and that I didn't actually have those elements in, in 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 the work that failed. So, so so yes, I would say I try and avoid the failures if possible. And a way to do that would be do some test work, really start getting a feel for it, working into the painting slowly with a good cadence. I have made the mistake in the past of going in too bad, too brave, and too strong at the beginning, and then you start having problems that you're trying to paint yourself out of. And now the process is very much, is very much, you know, it's it's again, you know, as as an artist, it's it, it, for me, it's very much showing up for the process. It's the process, the process, the process, doing it over and over and over again, and getting that down because. I cannot be attached so much to the outcome, but I am attached to the process and refining it and just getting it, getting it down. So now when I'm painting, paintings go a little bit slower, but there's a nice cadence to it. And every single time I do a painting session, I photograph it so I can see the progress. I can, I can go through the images and I can see how it's progressed. So I get an idea about where I've been and kind of where I can go.
2: There's so many things that I'm interested in here. It's great. I think the best place to start with this question is to say, I've been really inspired by Cal Newport's writing and work. And he talks about this idea of deep work. And one of the things that associates with that idea is having like a startup ritual or like this thing that you do to get into your work and go into get into a place where you actually get to flow and you're really focused on one thing. And I'm curious for you, you talked about process and how that's what you're trying to hone in on. Do you have any routines or rituals in the way that you approach your painting? Anything. Related to that, I'm so interested in.
0: Yeah, I am very much, very much uh ritualistic about how I approach the work. I what I have found is that an hour and a half of pure focus is worth 20 times that of meandering. And you know, to become a real Jedi, in my opinion, is to be able to change your emotional state. And when I come into the studio, I want to be primed, primed for the best state I can possibly be in. And I think this is particularly important for this kind of work. I cannot speak as much for somebody who's just doing a straight-up portrait or copying a photograph, although there might be incredible technicalities and they would have to be primed in a certain way. There's a Mm -hmm. certain meditation, you can get certain technicalities. But with this work, because I'm confronted with another image looking right back at me it is and and I and, and these two mediums which are very very different photography is a very different medium to painting to try and get these two mediums to integrate in a way that creates tension that gets resolved or enhanced to create interest to create something of beauty requires me to be in like prime emotional state, prime state, and so in order to do that, what I do in my routine at the moment here at my place in Montana is I wake up, I do a forty-five minute meditation first thing in the morning. That is just purely to clear my my mind. Is to just to you know, I let the thoughts pop up and the the bubbles the thought, the thought bubbles pop, and my mantra that I repeat to myself is just enjoy this moment. Just enjoy this moment. Nothing else. Then I'll make a cup of coffee. Then I will, I will do a workout. I will do a physical workout. And the, and the reason I do the workout is because if I don't work out, I get depressed. I want to be in prime physical state. So Everything I do in the morning is really to get myself into the state when I walk into the studio at 11 a.m. ready to go. And when I'm working out in the gym and I'm by myself and I'm doing my spin on my Peloton bike, I'm not doing it anymore like I used to 20 years ago to look good and blah blah blah. I'm doing it because I am a I am a an artist. Um I, I call it I call it my my art athlete moment. I'm an athlete to get primed to be the artist that I that I really want to be. So everything I do is for that purpose alone. I try and eat light and I caffeinate if I can. So I'm ready to go and hydrate.
2: That's so so interesting. So yeah.
0: yes, very much and I have a sauna as well for so, a lot of the time, I, I will cold plunge in definitely before I get in the studio as well. Whether it's uh, in the creek here or at my cold plunge back in back in Miami, mm. but it's but but again, I, I would reiterate that you know, and like art like being an artist is one of the greatest privileges for me I can possibly have. It's it's how the artists enrich the world and. I do approach it like that and it's it's sacred and everything I do up until the point I get into the studio is really to prime myself to be the best possible and the most present and switched on artist I can possibly be for the the painting sessions
2: throughout the day. That's so good.
1: I love how the process is so embodied, right? It's like the physicality of getting you ready to do something what many people would write focus on the kind of cerebral or right the aesthetic part, but it's very embodied. And so I, I love that description there. One last little follow-up on that. When do you know you're done for the day? Is it a set time or is it a feeling you have?
0: Yeah, it's. I wouldn't say it's a set time. I have found that with this process, every painting session is normally between about an hour and a half to two hours. And then it just it's basically fatigue sets in. The reason I say that is I can't, like, like again, when I'm approaching this, this, this format of the work, I am looking at an image and I I'm, am and looking at how I can distort it and disfigure it and decompose it and make it something more than it is. And it's not like we walk around all day, every day, looking at the world around us and being like, how can I make that tree? How can I represent that tree in a way that's abstraction where it's not really a tree, but really is a tree? You just see the tree, right? So it's, it's, it's very demanding on the visual cortex. And so, so the process for me is about an hour and a half to two hours, then I take a break and do another about two hours. So it's about four, hour, four to five hours a day of, of actually painting in the studio and then in the evening, a lot of the time I will come in and I will sit in front of the painting literally just look at it for an hour, two hours. Because every stage of the journey of creating this work, the new content emerges. I might do a brushstroke at the beginning of the day that knocks out half of the face. And then I carry on following these little trails of creativity that happen where the, where the, the, the Loom escape opens up for these, for these potentialities to infuse with paint. And then I will come back and I'll look at the painting at the end of the day and see that original brushstroke and be like, hmm, wow, I see this could open up a whole different composition where I can push this further back and I can bring this side of her face out and I can abstract it even more and push this. And I do these meditations on the painting and then I go to sleep and I start the process the next day. So in, so in terms of, you know, I'm pretty much doing it 12 to 14 hours a day, but the actual time applying and mixing paint is about five hours a day. It's a fascinating uh, process. I really feel like I'm right on my edge creatively. It's like stepping into the void, trying to create something that's new and unique and exciting for me and authentic to me.
2: Thank you for sharing all of that. That's so, so interesting and, and inspiring in the sense of an encouragement to connect your personal care personal well-being to the the purpose in your art and what you're pursuing for me i don't really enjoy exercise i don't enjoy some of these things that are more embodied i'm more focused on just getting to the work or what i'm excited about and i think the downside of that is burnout and fatigue and like you said that emotional health so it's an encouragement for me even to just remember that that the way that you take care of your body as a vessel is going to show up in the work whenever you get to your craft.
0: Yeah. Again, I, d- I don't want to say universals because I'm sure people have their different modes. It's certainly certainly mode. I think one of the reasons it is such a way as, well, I've been studying martial arts. Most of my childhood from the age of seven all the way through to about 23 or 24 years old, and I was very, very much involved in Shaolin Kung Fu. So very much in my formative years was very much about movement and about presence and about meditation and about chi and, and sparring and forms and the beauty of movement. And I think that's one of the reasons why I got picked up by Nike to shoot all the Olympic athletes, et cetera, et cetera. Because I, I have a, a good innate understanding of movement and feeling good in my body helps my mental state. If I don't feel good in my body, I feel like I'm, I'm declining. So it just it works for me, but the shift the shift lately has been I don't work out to look good, feel good, I work out so I can paint well and be a better
1: artist so kind of shifting gears a little bit, a question that we we were really eager to ask you to kind of move over to the the sharing portion of kind of our framework has to do with a statement you made in another interview, you encouraged people to never quit your side projects. And and we love this. And so we wanted to kind of follow up on that and say, what is your advice for someone who's trying to decide where their art or the current side project fits in their life? You know, is it a hobby? Is it a side project? Or is it time to kind of take that leap and go at it full time? So... Anything that you have in regards to that, that was one that we were, we feel that tension a lot, right? Does this need, you know, do you need to keep your day job? I mean, like T.S. Eliot writes the wasteland while he's a banker, right? Or do you mm-hmm. need to try to create that space where you can go all in? So we'd just love to hear your follow-up on that.
0: Yeah, well, obviously it, it very much depends on the individual to the individual. If you're sitting on a massive trust fund just be the sure. artist. Sure. Like, go for it, you know. <laughs> um, most of us are not sitting on a massive trust fund. You know. for, for me personally, I was just fortunate enough to be g- getting involved in photography very early on. And I made a good living, so it's, it's enabled me to fund myself across the bridge, so to speak. Now, I think the person who is, who, is, who is having this inquiry, I think the question you have to ask yourself is, what lights you up? What lights you up the most? And if, you, if there is deep down inside this burning desire to create and live with passion and to create with passion, then I would say that everything you do should be towards that end goal. And if you have to wait tables to pay the rent so that you can keep doing your art, then know that that's the reason why you're waiting tables for the art. Or if you've got to take a nine to five job to fund the art, know that that's the reason why you are doing it. Because that will help. right It'll help you build that initial inertia. Now, you know, it's not easy. it's It's certainly not easy becoming an artist, and it's certainly not easy becoming a successful artist. So you know it really it does it does come down to the individual, and, you know, i'm I'm sure there's many of you out there that probably somewhat enjoy your job and you like to create as a hobby, and it just it just rounds up your life beautifully. But if you have that burning desire, you get to live this life once, you get these moments that come by once and just can go for it, is what I say, because we need artists in the world. The arts have taken a bit of a hit, I would say, over the last couple of decades in terms of academia. A lot of art universities have closed down. You know, It's all about science and tech and science and tech, but we need artists. Artists have a very, very important function in society we enrich the lives of those around us and we enrich the li- we enrich the world and if you can do that and you can do that full time then just go for it and that's that's what I'd have to say now do with, do with that advice what you will but just know that it's a very very noble and profound profession it is something that is where you know i believe that as a, they say that great art and I, I don't know who said this, but I know it's a quote, great art is the collaboration between man and God. And the more man gets out of the way, the better the art. And there's a great mm-hmm. book by Rick Rubin it. called the, the Creative Life, I think it's called at the moment. And this is, he talks a lot about this relationship, about how as an artist, we are really opening ourselves up to the energy of life to flow through us. And it's, I, and, and it's where we can play in the higher realms of human consciousness. And it's such a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing to do. And if you have the opportunity to do it, go for it.
2: And I love how you said it's not binary in the sense that you have to choose between those two, but you can connect the work that you're doing, waiting tables, if it is that, to funding your art. If that's what you're pursuing, you're not a failure for doing that. That's where you're at. You're making the most of your situation and you're using it to get towards that goal. I think that's just a really good mindset. 100%.
0: One hundred percent. I mean, I think the, the the question to ask yourself, or the question that is a very powerful question, is why. You know, if you if you are an artist and you are struggling financially and you are waiting tables and you just kind of pissed off about it, ask yourself why are you waiting tables, and that will change your emotional state. And it's all about changing your emotional state. Waiting tables because I'm funding my art, because I'm funding my next project. Because now all of a sudden. You have purpose and there's, there's, there's trajectory and there's movement. And I think that's the question you have to ask yourself is, why am I doing this? Why do I have this nine-to-five job if I'm hating it? Because it's funding my art. And just keep the main thing, the main thing and keep your eye on the outcome and the goal and how you want to live your life. And just know that it's temporary because if you have that, if you, if you know that you're doing it for that purpose, there will come a time where you don't have to wait tables anymore.
2: That's so good. So to pull on the string just a little more, another question that I'm really curious about, given the fact your transition, your comments at the beginning of the episode on looking back in different parts of your career, how do you think about sort of two things? One, there's a huge question as an artist, especially earlier in your your career, of how do you price your work and how do you determine your value and working with clients and finding those and kind of building the confidence to say, this is what I'm worth, please pay me for this. But then the second piece of it is when to turn down work, you know, sort of like the, the commercial versus creative or when am I selling out versus when am I no, this is to pay the bills, but it's not creative or it's not quite what I'd want to do. You know, like how have you navigated those spaces and what do you have to say about that kind of stuff?
0: That's a, that's a very, very good question. And, it's a, and it's, a, it's a difficult one to answer because I don't think that many of us have the privilege of only doing what we want to do. I think at some point there's a little bit of compromise, there's a little bit of you know, well, for example, right now I'm currently working on a, on a commission, and this particular couple I'm doing it for are just giving me creative freedom. But there have been commissions in the past where a couple would say, and this this is part of this is I'm referring to a specific part of my studio right now called Love Saints, which is something I collaborate with with my wife, is we photograph couples that are in love and create bespoke original artwork to symbolize their union it's a very powerful and it's a beautiful beautiful process and this is this is one of the ways that I'm funding my careers through these commissions so to answer that question it's a tough one I think I think obviously if it goes against everything in your body just don't do it everything comes at a price it's where on the spectrum are you where do you where do you draw the line and I think in terms of art, there's a couple of ways you could go. And each one is just as, I'm not putting any judgment, but you can become a commercial artist where you are doing products and licensing and doing artwork for, you know, McDonald's and Pepsi. And there's, a, there's a, an amazing, in fact, he's the most licensed artist in the history of the world by the name of Romero Brito in Miami. You know, he's got a 60,000 square foot studio. He's got 75 full-time employees. I mean, the guy is just killing it in the art world in terms of success, if you want to talk about commercial success. That's one route to go. And the other route to go is to go this like super highbrow blue chip. You know, really get the, uh, get the, you know, the praise of the high art critics, etc. I think that, that is a little bit more of a, of, a, of a tricky one because they will all smell commercialism and smell you selling out in an instant. So I think you have to pretty much decide where you want to go. And I don't know if I really have a good, concise answer to this question. Sure. I think it's very much a case-by-case basis. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, I mean, speaking from, from, I mean, this is actually, a, in a way, it's an interesting question. Because as a commercial photographer, this was happening constantly. I was not a fine art photographer. I had to produce a result to sell a product or to... Help somebody's image, or to you know. So there's a lot of compromise, so to speak, and you know there's nothing wrong with that because I was a commercial photographer. Now in the art world, I would say that I'm, I'm fortunate enough to not have to compromise, and I don't, I don't take things I don't want to do. But in terms of the commissions, I think I would approach. I wouldn't want to say compromise. I would say it's collaboration. When I'm doing a commission, I'm actually collaborating with the subjects that I'm that I'm painting for, and I want to, and I say we because this is my wife and I and the love saints. Is we learn about their love story, we learn about them, and this is kind of a a way of like sacred service to love, and using art to infuse people's relationships with more love and give them this this object that sits in their home that they can look at and feel more love for themselves and for each other. And this is a collaboration. So if they say, we love, when we think about our relationship, we love the idea of rose gold and light blue, and white. Then I'm going to really work that into the palette sure. because it's now a collaboration. I don't consider it a compromise. So I think it's how you frame it, how you look at it, how you frame how you frame it is really important. And again, if it goes against, it, if it really ekes you out and if it really sits, sits with you and it doesn't sit right, then don't do it because... It's intuition telling you something and you'll pay the price. So it is a case by case basis.
2: We hit on this a little bit earlier, but whenever you experience creative fatigue or burnout, what is it that you do now? Where do you go?
0: I've learning I've been learning how to DJ. <laughs> so, ah. <laughs> so when I experience creative fatigue, it's like just switch modes and start mixing beats and seeing yeah. you know. So I think I think and this is what I this is kind of comes back to like don't quit your side projects. Cause I think the side mm. projects are really valuable because they inform your main project. So, you know, creative fatigue for me, you know, again, it's 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 showing up for the process and doing everything I can every day to make sure that I can show up for the process. If I have like a threshold in a particular artwork that I'm looking at, I'm like, oh man, I don't know where to go from here. Could have had a threshold. I'm sort of fatigued out. You know, it's like it's like again, it's like any sort of relationship. You just got to keep showing up. Even if you're not applying paint to canvas, just meditate in front of the painting. Just sit with it, just be with it, just be in the room. And at some point something's gonna give. So that would be my suggestion. And I would say that to have, you know, for me, I mean, I was playing guitar, but I had to stop because of a tennis elbow injury. Now that I've taken up DJ, very much informs my painting now. When I'm looking at a painting, I'm like, wow, I'm actually mixing photography and paint. And it's like mixing beats. And how do you get the beats to mix where it becomes even more than the sum of its two individual songs? This is So it's, it's important to use different aspects of the brain. But I would, I would also say that just keep moving. Keep moving creatively, keep moving in your thoughts, keep moving into the process, and don't stop. Even if you do have creative fatigue, change it up, do something else. I think we all, we all have this. We all, we all have this problem at some point, and I think there's enough, there's enough psychological research and stuff out there to give us the tools to get through this. And, and another thing, actually, I want to say as well, which I think is very, very important in terms of this, is collaborations. Creative fatigue can really be resolved a lot by collaborating. So if I am at a point where I'm like, oh, I've got some, you know what, I'm going to bring in another artist that I want to work with, like bounce things around, move things around a little bit, because this is this is where you can stir the pot. And, uh, you know, being an artist can be quite a lonely experience. And, you know, to pull in other people and to pull in people that you admire, people you want to work with, that's a great remedy for, for creative fatigue.
2: And it's interesting that both in both the primary work you're doing with mixed media and in DJing, there's an element of not showing up at a blank canvas, like you said, but of remixing and interacting and trying to push things further that I I think that's just one takeaway for me from this conversation is how can you build on top of something else to use that as a starting place? Does that do you feel like that helps you with your fatigue almost because you're starting you don't have to kind of jumpstart the work. You have a place where you dive in the middle.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I do rely a lot on my mastery of photography and thirty years I spent mastering that craft because that's the initial first layer. So yeah, that's I'm, that's the place that I'm most familiar and I feel most comfortable. The place I feel the most uncomfortable is when I'm confronted with the canvas and the painting, which is exactly where I need to be mm. because you want to be, you want to always kind of break out your comfort zone and expand your edges. I mean, I think that's also another aspect of creative fatigue is if you're not taking enough risks, Mm. if you're not pushing your boundaries, not pushing your edges. There's there's a great saying uh, it's I've forgotten that guy's name, but he wrote a book. Basically the saying is when you're on top of your game, change your game. And it's actually very, very true. There's a natural, it's kind of almost like a universal principle that when you're starting to learn something, you're on this like upswing. And then you get to master it and then you're getting all the benefits. But what's happening is that there's actually like a, a, a kind of a sloping down on the other side. And you gotta know when to change your game. When you feel like you've really got something mastered and you kind of got it down, there's no shoulds. But that's when it's a great idea to change up your game, change it up, because then you, again, you wanna always keep on the upward traje- trajectory. And a lot of the time you'll find this with great musicians that have stood the test of time, that aren't just bring out a couple of albums and they sort of you know fade into obscurity. It's the ones that have actually lasted throughout the decades. will always come out with something new and something interesting. And an album, people are like, oh my God, that doesn't sound like so-and-so. Well, no, because it's their new project. Like David Bowie is a great example. One of the greatest artists of, all, artists of all time, in my opinion, is David Bowie. Always interesting. Never was afraid to experiment and to push the boundaries. And not afraid to fail. And I think if you have these aspects in your toolbox, then you're going you're gonna to fend off a lot of that fatigue. That, that would noem if you keep doing the same thing over and over again.
2: Are there any things that help you specifically in that area of not being afraid to fail, taking creative risks, being bold?
0: Well, I, I mean, certainly doing the doing the right amount of prep. Because the thing that hurts most about the, the failures is the time. Hmm. Time, because you can't get the time back. So once, once you've done the failures, like how do I get this? How do I make the most out of the time? that appears to be wasted. Well, that's not wasted. Let's see what we can learn. So that's, that's the one thing. I think the key is to make sure that whatever you're doing and producing and creating is that you are loving it. Don't do it for somebody else to love it. Do it for you to love it because that will help. And if you're not loving it, try something else. There's another great saying is if you try to please everybody, please no one. You know, this happens in my meditation sessions when I sit in front of the paintings in the evenings. Do I love it? Hmm. Do I love it? Do I love it? Do I love it? Could it be better? Could it be better? Could it be better? What can I do? What can I do? These are the questions that keep going over and over again. So, yeah, bravery is key. And I think breaking out of the comfort zone is key. And having a sort of a foundation of everything is actually going to be okay, even if I do fail, because I will be learning from this. Knowing that it's a learning thing is also key. So as I said, there's no real thing such as failure. It's up to you whether you want to turn a failure into a learning opportunity or not.
1: Yeah, that's super rich. I, you, the David Bowie yeah. reminds me of Bob Dylan getting booed when he goes electric, right? Doing something that people totally weren't responding well, but yeah. it was time for him to change and, and transform. And I feel like there's just almost unlimited examples of artists who have done that, who have pivoted in, in ways that people are really thrown by but then, in 20 years it's like that was way ahead of its time and I feel like there is always totally. that role I mean you you spoke of the role of the artist in society uh, there is that role to push right to to be kind of leading the way of seeing things before the broader social kind of zeitgeist catches up and so I feel like that's tied into this as well
0: 100 percent we are the tip of the spear in many respects and I think it's really important to keep that sphere nice and sharp. And the way, the way to do that is to br- keep breaking out the comfort zone. And, you know, people forget, you know, David Bowie is, who comes out with an album. You know, they listen to the album for a couple of weeks. So he's probably been working on that album for a year. I mean, you can't blame the guy for being like, okay, I'm going to do something different here. i be out to do the same thing again. So I think we are our own best critic at the end of the day. And I think it's good to... To lean into that. And if I don't like it, then I shouldn't be
1: producing it. It's
0: as simple as that. If I'm not inspired by what I'm about to do, then I shouldn't do it. So there we go. I mean, it's kind of that simple already.
1: Well, well maybe a, a last question here for you. What's something recently that you've drawn some creative inspiration from? Whether it's a, another artist, a an evening in Montana, you name it. Maybe that's a good place to kind of start
0: landing yeah. the plane. Wow. I have been asked this question a few times, and I always find that a little tricky to answer <laughs> sure. because there's no, there's never really one thing. I think I would have to say that it's really a lifestyle. So it's, like, it's a, like a mode of existing and moving through the world that I get my inspiration from. And I would say that that probably is a skill that I developed throughout my photographic career because when you are having to shoot three, two to three times a week, sometimes four times a week, you know, there's deadlines. You have clients that are relying on your creativity to come up with ideas. Maybe one day you're doing an editorial for Vogue. The next day you're doing a beauty campaign. The next day you're shooting a celebrity. You don't have the... The, the space to just wait for inspiration to strike because you, there's a deadline you are showing up, there's people showing up you're getting paid. You got to, you got to produce. So I think that has trained me to see the world through a lens where I can draw creativity from pretty much almost anything, even a cardboard box. It sounds, it might sound a little contrived to say that, but you know, it's how you—it's how I see the world and how I let the world in. And one technique that I have come up with is the use of juxtaposition. I know that's such an overused word in the in the art world. Whenever I hear critics say juxtaposition, I just want to vomit. But for 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 whatever better word, let's just say juxtaposition. So uh, let's say I'm I'm you know as a photographer, I was you know going through some airport in Amsterdam or like Germany somewhere. And I'm on the way to a shoot and I see a, you know, a, a cleaner cleaning the toilets you know inside the thing. And I'm just like, but, I, but there's a way of looking at that. And you'd be like, well, what, have, what if she was cleaning the toilet, but she was wearing a beautiful Alexander McQueen gown? So now I'm bringing in these elements, these different sort of inspirations where you get this creative tension that gets created between what might be, appear to be the mundane and then you give it something from something else. And it's, it's, it's when, you, when you pull ideas together and you pull different things together, it's where they meet. That's where the sparks happen. They say in the most eco-diverse, vibrant parts of nature is when two ecosystems buttress up against each other. That's where you get the most diversity and the most life. So you want to do that with your ideas. You want to do that with your thoughts. And the process that I'm in, I'm doing it with the actual physicality of having the ecosystem photography and the ecosystem of the painting so and, cool. and 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 pushing them up against each other every day and trying to manage and 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 steward that relationship between these two very different mediums that can so quickly just cancel each other out and become nothing but with the right consciousness and the right presence and the right way of looking at it try and create something that as i hope has not been created before and would 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 result in something that that my hope is that when when people view the work, they don't know if they're looking at a painting or a photograph or or what it is, but it's just it looks amazing and yeah. it's cool and it's beautiful, and it will just keep every time they look at it it just keeps revealing more and more and more into the depths into the years that come and this is this is kind of what happens when you when you when you take different ideas and you put them together or different things, you put them to different mediums, different ecosystems, like bring things together, mash it up. And and that's where you're going to find your magic source.
2: That's beautiful. It
1: reminds me too. I love how you said it. You know, it's a matter of being in the world and a matter of kind of being receptive. I was just teaching some undergraduates today. Henry David Thoreau, and he talks about being at Walden One of my Pond. Yeah, and he he has this beautiful line where he says, you know, he's in his small little cabin, and he goes, but there's plenty of pasture for my imagination. And I love that idea yes. with, with the cardboard box, right? If you're, if you're in a method of receptivity with the world, it's like the smallest minutia just comes
0: alive. 100%. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think it's, it's, a, it's a great, and this is one of the beauties of being an artist and a creative, is that you get to experience the world with this receptivity that keeps you present and demands your presence if you want to be inspired. It demands your presence. And that is how I want to live my life. I want to live it present. I want to save every moment and, and, and try and, and reach the, 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 the heights of my, my potential as much as I possibly can.
2: This has been a super inspiring conversation and educating even. Where can people go to learn more about your work and what can our listeners do to help and support you?
0: Oh, thank you for that question. Well, you can go to my website, warwicksaint.com. That is W-A-R-W-I-C-K, Saint, S for sugar, A-I-N-T, dot com. It is my new artist site. Um, There are links to my photographic site on that place if you want to look at my provenance and where I've come from. And then I would say, you know, just engage, engage with my Instagram account, engage with the site. If you're interested in limited edition prints, please let me know because all these limited edition prints will be kept being released over the next year, and if you know somebody that is getting married or wants to celebrate their union or an anniversary or a wedding or something like that, please let us know because we we uh, this one I say we I'm talking to my wife and myself. She's an incredible artist and songwriter and love coach. We we do this together where we will come in and do a commission for a wedding to create a bespoke beautiful piece of artwork that will sit in the in, in that. Home and become a family heirloom for the generations to come, and this is something that is uh, uh, one of the verticals through Saint Studio, and it's a it's a wonderful wonderful way where I can put my art into service of love, which is one of the highest things I think I could possibly do with my talents is to serve love and and through the art support couples to fall deeper in love with each other and appreciate each other more and more throughout the the years to come. So that's called Love Saints and and just let us know you can find us on the website
2: well thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us this has been a wonderful conversation
0: i really appreciate it guys thank you for the questions just very inspired and very inspiring questions and i I was happy to to dive a little couple of layers
2: deeper than i would normally go
1: well saint thanks again yeah Yeah. thank you so much really cool chatting to you guys
0: good to meet you
2: thanks so much for listening to this interview with saint we had a great time and i hope you enjoyed it too If you like this episode, please follow the show so that you get notified about the new ones that come out. We drop a new episode every two weeks on Wednesday mornings. And also just please send the link to one friend that you think would enjoy this interview. That helps us so much. Lastly, if you have any ideas for other people we should have on the show, topics we should talk about, or even just feedback on how we can improve, you can send us an email at heycraftpodcast at gmail.com. Lastly, our cover art was designed by Elizabeth Newell. You can learn more about her work at elizabethnewell.work or on Instagram at elizabethisadesigner. Thanks for listening. See you in two weeks.